In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As you may know, priests have the duty every day to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. It's also called the Breviary. It's a series of prayers and psalms and hymns that we have the obligation to read every every day. It takes about uh, 40 minutes. It's all divided into different hours of the day, the morning prayer, there's the inventory, the morning prayer, the midnight prayer, the afternoon prayer, the vespers, and uh, there's also a moment called the office of readings. So it has psalms and and uh, hymns and and a longer text from the gospel or or rather from scripture. And and there's also a text from the fathers of the church or some saint. And today, for Holy Saturday, there's a particularly ancient text, probably dating to 2nd or 3rd century, but it's anonymous. We don't know who wrote it. It just says, an ancient text by an ancient author. It doesn't say Saint so-and-so, it just, we don't know who it is. And it's all about the descent of the Lord into the, the underworld, the dead. Sometimes we call it hell, but it's not the hell of the damned, but the place where those who are not yet liberated to be in heaven. And uh, you'll recall how on the cross, the Lord gave up his spirit, right? and he, he died. That's how the scriptures describe it. He gave up his spirit there on the cross. So he didn't really, strictly speaking, die from all the wounds and the bleeding and the suffocation you know, when, when, if you and I were on the cross, we would be affected, of course, by all those things. And then eventually the heart would give out or the lungs would give out or something and, and we would just die. But for our Lord, who was master of life and death, he suffered all those things and said, Okay, I think it's time to go right now. And uh, he gave up his spirit. He just died wasn't that so much that his heart gave out and then he died. It was that he decided, okay, heart, you can stop now. And then he died. And so his spirit left his body, which is what happens in death. Your soul leaves your body. And then there's no animating spirit to keep your body alive. So your, your soul leaves. And uh, at the same time, the divinity stayed in Jesus' body. But his soul left, and, well, we know, we say it in the creed, he descended to the dead. He descended to the dead. And this is the passage that we read today in the Office of Readings from this ancient author, this anonymous author. And I'll just read it to you because it's, it's quite a powerful text. I'll just read to you a brief passage from it. 
because it refers, of course, to Holy Saturday, which is a day of quiet, a day kind of a peace. It says, something strange is happening. There is a great silence on earth today. A great silence and stillness. The whole world, the whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh and he has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh and hell trembles with fear. He has gone to search for our first parent as for a lost sheep. Greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, he has gone to free from sorrow the captives, Adam and Eve, who he who is both God and the son of Eve. The Lord approached them bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him the victory. At the sight of him, Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror and cried out to everyone, My Lord, be with you all. Christ answered him, and with your spirit. He took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And it's all, the, the text continues explaining how Christ has had victory over death. And behind Adam, there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, there's, you know, all the kings, King David, and all the people who are kind of like lined up waiting to leave this enclosure, which is, we call it Sheol, we call it the realm of the dead. But since they haven't, you know, Christ has not died in some ways, they're kind of waiting. And so there, Jesus comes down to free them. And that's what he does with his resurrection. This is just the moment before the resurrection. He took him by the hand. And now, as we sort of come towards the end of the retreat, we must think that he takes us also by the hand to wake us up, to bring us out of kind of a darkness a sadness where we sometimes feel that we have no hope or we think maybe that others are against us. He takes us by the hand and Adam takes Eve and Eve takes all those after and it's just like a long lineup of, of the just being liberated. When, when you and I think of the resurrection, it is often thought of in terms of the Western representation in art when we think of the resurrection. For example, uh, there's a famous Renaissance painter. Uh, his name was Piero della Francesca. And there you see Jesus coming out of the sepulcher, right, out of the, the kind, of, kind of a casket. And he's stepping up over the casket. He's alive. He's got his cross with a sta as a standard of victory. And it's got like a little flag on it. And he is standing there he is secure. He is 
full of trust, but you can see that his victory is over the external world. Near him are these soldiers that are passed out, that are asleep. Those were his earthly enemies. And the, the authorities had put seals over the sepulchre, over those who tried to keep watch. But they're broken, and they're asleep. And they are there, but they can't see what's going on because they're all asleep. Nobody witnessed the actual resurrection. It was only witnessed maybe by angels. And around him you see trees and hills, and there is Jesus coming out. That is the Western tradition, like in Europe and things. But in the Eastern tradition, it's quite different. It's, it's not something that takes place in the open sky, outside, but underground. The resurrection is, like we saw, is this Jesus descending, rather than going up, he's descending. With great energy, he pulls Adam and Eve by the hand, who have been waiting there in the realm of the dead. And he pulls them to life, to, to the resurrection. And behind, behind them there's this innumerable quantity, this innumerable multitude of men and women who are just waiting. And often in these icons, these Eastern icons, you see Jesus trampling over the gates of hell. And the gates are like broken, and underneath the gates is the devil. He's going, you know, he's like, he's, you know, completely broken, dislocated. In other words, Christ's victory is not so much over the visible enemies, like the Romans and the people who put him to death, but over invisible enemies, which are worse, death, darkness, anguish, the devil, hell. Those are the great enemies that the Lord has overcome. And we must feel ourselves involved in this representation because Christ's resurrection is also our resurrection. That's why it's, it's the greatest mystery of our faith. If Christ is not resurrected, well, we might as well just go home and just abandon the faith and forget it all. That's what St. Paul says. If Christ is not risen, vain, vain is our faith. I mean, we often think of the cross, we think of the death, but all that is useless, is completely silly, if it is not for the fact that after all that, Christ has victory over that death. So we have to find a way in, in our life to turn all the hardships of our life, the difficulties, the sufferings, you could say, and sanctify them because Christ has risen. And uh, we are all invited, you know, to be identified with Adam and every woman, I guess, with Eve, and to stretch out our hands and to allow ourselves to be taken up, pulled up by Christ from the sepulcher of, of our own death. And you'll remember that when the holy women came to the tomb, why did they come to the tomb? Why did they come? Well, they came to put, uh, to anoint the body, to put spices, which was a traditional practice among the Jews. But what were they thinking as they went along early in the morning? They had to go early in the morning because they couldn't go during the Sabbath. So they went early in the morning and they ran and they thought to themselves, who will remove the stone from the tomb? 
Who will remove it? That was their thing. Because how can they remove it? It's too big, it's too heavy. But when they arrived, the stone had been removed. There was the sepulcher, open for them to go in. And later on, the disciples of Emmaus recounted what they saw. They did not see the body. They just saw the shroud lying there, the angels. An angel said to them, what are you doing here? He is not here. And this laconic phrase that the disciples of Emmaus remembered and saddened them, they said, they saw the angels, they saw the shroud, empty tomb, but him they did not see. Him they did not see. When they had to repeat that, it, they, they must have filled them with sadness because they really wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to hear his voice. They wanted to hear his words, his teaching. And again, be filled with the hope of liberation. It was, it was just enough just to be close to him. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted him. And so, today what we want to examine is how we can learn to see him Learn to hear him. Even though we don't see him. He's like, now we don't see the Lord. He's blocked there. And where can we learn to see him and hear him? The only place we can do this is in, in the art of prayer. Because that prayer will allow us to see him. And we won't have that same exasperation, that stress that preoccupation that characterized the, the disciples of Emmaus. Because when you come to a retreat like this, well, you can learn many things. You can hear talks. You can hear meditations. You can learn stuff. In general, when you go to school, you learn a lot of stuff. I don't know, you learn how to play the piano. You can learn to paint. You can learn to fillet a fish. I don't know, many things you can learn. And, uh, but really the most fundamental thing that we have to learn as sons and daughters is to learn to pray. Yeah. Learn to connect with God, that connection. Mm -hmm. And we always have to be ready to learn this art, which is ever new and yet ever ancient too. Mm -hmm. It's not like reading a book once, oh, I read that book, or I saw that movie, right? Uh, I've done that. It's something much more to learn the art of prayer. It's like, like anything we learn. It, it can take time. It can even take a special effort. But it's not like a technique. It's not like something like driving standard. You know, you have to learn how to drive standard. Right? You have to learn the first gear, second gear, third gear, the clutch, and move the two together. And it's... Prayer is really the art of receiving this grace from the Holy Spirit who can act in us. And so we have to be like open vessels that receive the Holy Spirit who can act in us. It's not just a question of applying rules or techniques or saying the Our Father in a certain way or being in a certain position because you can be on your knees if you want just to be on your knees is not necessarily an act of prayer. You can be there kneeling, but just, you know, 
having your mind on something you just saw on Instagram. It's really, prayer is much more the art of receiving, knowing that God has given us something. Maybe it's just the act of silence, maybe it's just being more peaceful, maybe it's just dwelling on the truth of your divine filiation, that is, that you are a daughter of God, and the love that God has for his sons and daughters. One famous uh, author, Jacques Philippe, says that the life of prayer is the source of infinite riches. Infinite riches. It transforms us from within. It sanctifies us. It heals us to know and to love God. And as a result, it makes us fervent and generous in love with, with our neighbor. Provided we persevere, if we persevere in this commitment to a life of prayer, we can be absolutely sure that we will receive all these things. That is, that He will sanctify us, He will heal us, that He will teach us to know and to love God. So maybe we can see if we can make that resolution, that decision to become truly souls of prayer. So that from the day, from the moment we wake up, we don't just wake up and don't think of God, about God, about our Lord Jesus Christ or our Blessed Mother at all. We just go from morning to night. But maybe we can wake up and bounce out of bed right away because it's a new challenge, even though we're tired, maybe we haven't slept much, maybe we've had a nightmare, we bounce out of bed. And the first prayer we can say is, thank you God for this day. Thank you God. I'm tired now, Lord. Or I have a headache. Or I'm stressed about this exam that I have. That's, that's prayer, right there. And you say, well, all those things that I have to do today, I have this exam to do, I have this class to go to, I have to get on the bus, I have to take the subway to go to school. These are all things that I will do today and I will offer them to you. That's the morning offer, right there. We can do that. And, and then maybe as we go about the day, we can maybe say a decade of the rosary or on the bus or someplace. You know, the... The act of traveling, most of you probably have to travel somewhere in the morning by public transport or by car. I would imagine many of you have to go to school. Or if you're not traveling like that, you're traveling throughout the house. And those moments of travel, right, they are moments that they can be like a, like a, like a microcosm of our life. I'm traveling and you see the cars pass, you see the buildings pass. It's kind of like our life, you know, we get older, we pass through different events and people. And those are also good moments to pray, to be silent. If we could force ourselves not to look down at our phone and just see, okay, life is passing. What do you want of me today? These are good moments to, to really be fully aware that the Lord is always next to you, seated next to you all the time. We don't always see Him. We have to make those acts of faith. The Holy Spirit is in your heart. He inspires you to generosity. And we have to be convinced of that, is that that kind of life of prayer 
But we know our Lord is next to us is a source of infinite riches because He will inspire you to be kind to others, to work hard at school, to open ourselves to the divine vocation that He has for us. St. Josemaria said, you write, to pray is to talk with God. But about what? About what? He says. About Him, about yourself, joys, sorrows, successes and failures, noble ambitions, daily worries, weaknesses, and acts of thanksgiving, and petition, and love, and reparation, in a word, to get to know Him and to get to know yourself. Get acquainted. That's what, that's what prayer is. And maybe you can think, well, what are, what are my worries? Okay, well, I'll put those worries in the hands of the Lord. What are my weaknesses? These are my weaknesses. That I'm weak at. But we have to know what our weaknesses are. What, are, what is my greatest defect? What thing really bugs me about myself? Put that in the hands of the Lord. That right there is an act of prayer. And St. Rosemary spoke about this, getting acquainted, getting acquainted. And uh, this is what he was saying to young people at the time, this is in the 1930s, and he had gotten acquainted with our Lord, largely when he was in the seminary in Saragossa. There's a beautiful chapel there in the seminary that I had a chance to visit. It's uh, called the Chapel of San Carlos. And when we went there, at first when we went, they didn't allow us in. They said, oh, no, no, you can't go in. It's private. You can't go in. So we had to go in another day. But uh, as I went into that chapel, it was a beautiful chapel, Baroque, huge ceiling, beautiful, readable. I could picture him spending hours there asking and discerning, full of noble ambitions, because... Though he didn't know what God wanted of him, he knew he had inklings that God wanted something, but he didn't know what it was. And it was kind of vague. He knew God was up to something, some greater scheme in God's plans. And so he would pray. He would sit there in that chapel, that beautiful chapel with paintings and statues. And, and he would also pray about the other confreres he had. He would pray about daily events, there was a lot of hostility at that time against the church, against priests. He had his own worries about his studies. He had worries about his family. His, his father was going to go bankrupt. He thought, how will I support them? What about his younger brother, Santiago, who was very young? And um, he might have given thanks to God also to be in a city like Saragossa which is a beautiful city, which had a beautiful basilica nearby of Our Lady of the Pillar. Beautiful, beautiful basilica. Right? Maybe he gave thanks for the beautiful chapel that he was in. It was a sumptuous, colorful, Baroque chapel. But what is sure is that he didn't just say Hail Marys repeatedly that were kind of empty and vain. Like our Lord says in the Gospel of St. Matthew, he says... And in prayer, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he teaches us the famous prayer of the Our Father. And so, certainly, it's something that we have to come out of here learning and being open to learn to, to learn how to pray. Actually, there's the Our Father, the Hail Mary, but all those other, all that dialogue that the Lord wants you and I to have. Let's ask our Blessed Mother to intercede for us so that we can really be faithful to this endeavor, to this commitment. Every day kind of connect with our Lord. Like, it's like charging a phone. You want the phone to work, you have to charge it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Yesterday when we had the, the power failure, we probably all thought, okay, my phone is at uh, 10%. How long is this? How long is this power failure going to go for? I'm not going to have my phone. Oh, my God. You know, I, I thought that because I had to get this thing going, right? And it was at like 13%. So I said, oh, my God. Will I be able to preach or have to do it all by memory? You know, so... Same way, we have to charge not so much our phone, but our, our soul, right? our mind, our soul, our heart. Every day, a little bit. Otherwise, we're going to go to 3%, 2%, and then it's going to say, you know, you must charge your phone. What do we do? We go back to our prayer. We kneel down. We make the sign of the cross. We say to our Lord, I firmly believe that you are here. I firmly, I firmly. That's an act of faith. And then we can say, this person bothers me, this brother of mine gets on my nerves, I have to do this work, this stresses me. And all the other challenges that you, you and I all have in our life. And the happy things too, the good things. Easter is coming, we're just around the corner now. And that has to make us happy too. Let's ask our, our Blessed Mother, she'll guide us to make us truly souls of prayer. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.